Well, thank you, Tyler. Wasn't it great to sing that line, who can stop the Lord Almighty? Can a pandemic or any of the restrictions or weirdness or everything else we've had to go on through, who, what, nothing can stop the Lord Almighty? And that is the faith that we stand on as followers of Jesus. So with that, let's just bow for a moment to prayer with me. Lord God, we just acknowledge you as the mighty one, the powerful one, the holy one. And Lord, we just declare together in faith, Lord, nothing can stop you. Nothing can stop the Lord Almighty. So Lord, I just pray your grace and your hope and your empowering over each one today. Lord, we pray that your kingdom will come and that your will will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. And I just ask you, Holy Spirit, that as we look into your word, that you will be our teacher today, that your word will come alive in our lives today. So we submit to you, and I ask you to work in this way, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen. Well, it's my privilege today to continue our series called Church 2020, where we want to talk about the true nature of the church. Now, when I was a kid, I had two close friends who dreamed of becoming pilots. And not any kind of pilots. They actually wanted to become military pilots. They would talk about F-16s and F-18s, and they would have great debates over whether Soviet fighters were better than American ones and all that kind of thing, and that was their dream. To be honest with you, I was actually a little envious of them because they were both a part of this thing called Air Cadets, and I was raised by good pacifist parents, and so, of course, I wasn't going to be allowed to participate, but I remember being quite intrigued by their passion and their discussion and all that they were into. Now, it was in the context of these two friends that I first heard the idea of 2020 vision, and it was basically in the context of when they would talk about their dream of being pilots. It was like the minimum requirement for getting to be accepted or go through the training as a pilot, and I don't know if that was true then or now, but this is what they talked about, was that you had a, had a minimum requirement of 2020 vision. And so I just remember being intrigued by, wow, 2020 vision must be amazing, and that's going to have my friends become pilots someday. Well, you know, when we think about the year 2020, and as I grew up in the 80s and 90s and saw the year 2000 coming, Honestly, the year 2000, and especially the year 2020, that just sounds like a science fiction movie. Some of you old like me, you, you get what I mean by that. It was like all of the movies and everything that were about, you know, 2001 and space 1999. Maybe you don't remember that one, but they were all futuristic of, you know, but yet here we are in the year 2020. Who would have expected 2020 to be anything like what 2020 has been? In fact, the year 2000 and 2020 has been year markers that many people, and including many prophetically-minded leaders within the Christian world, have made many, many bold statements about incredible moves of God and incredible things that God is going to do in the world in the year 2020. And yet, no one would have expected what happened. Now, if you read the introduction that Bruce did to this series, I just want to refer to a quote of his. He says, this year began with many people proclaiming that 2020 would be a year of clarity, focus, and vision. Instead, our year has been filled with upheaval, confusion, and uncertainty. 
So why, at the very end of 2020, a very different 2020 than why would we want to talk about church 2020? Why would we want to pick up on that theme to declare hope in the church? Well, I think it's actually because of all this that it's our heart's desire to do this. You know, when we, when we talk about the church, and if you've been a Christian or a follower of Jesus for many years, you're used to the idea that, of what we say up here as pastors and others, that the church is not a building, and the church is not a gathering, and the church is not a service, the church is not an institution. We are the church. We are the body of Christ. People are the church. So I think most of us get that as a concept. And yet when we often look at the church or even examine how we view, feel, or do church, we still kind of fall into all of those ways of doing church, don't we? So I just wonder and I suggest to you, is part of God's purpose through all of this pandemic time to actually dismantle us, crush us enough individually and as a church for us to seriously look at who and what we are and say, God, would you change us? Would you bring us back to the true purpose of who and why and what you called the church to be? Could it be? Could there be hope and possibility in the midst of a difficult time? Is God doing an incredible thing? You know, those prophetic voices I talked about before, um, there's many that talk about that God does powerful new moves in the church about every 500 years. And for us history buffs, about 500 years ago was the Protestant Reformation. And so, of course, those that love to think this way go, is God up to something again? Is he completely, in a sense, dismantling church in all the ways we know it so he can build it back up to the true biblical New Testament spirit-filled way he wanted church to be? So that's why. So we've been going through the, the book of Ephesians, which is like a blueprint for the church and how God called his church to be. And so a couple weeks ago, Bruce started the series talking about unity. And then last week, Pastor Maureen um, talked about spiritual gifts and the whole idea of diversity in the body. But ultimately, we want to come back to these scriptures to talk about what does it mean to be the body of Christ? How does the body of Christ represent just this way that we're called to actually be the church, not do church, but actually be the church. So that's the passion behind all of this. So today, I get to talk in these passages again, but talk about identity. Now, when I talk about our identity and what is our identity based in, or how would we define or describe our identity, again, if you're a Christian, a follower of Jesus, and whether you've been one for a short time or most of your life, My guess is that you probably know the right answer. In fact, sometimes in church circles, we jokingly call it the Sunday school answer. But you know the answer to what is your identity in? You're all supposed to say, my identity is in Christ. My identity is that I'm a child of God. Now, should that not absolutely amaze us and get us incredibly excited and in awe of God? We get to be a child of God? It should, right? But we're so used to it. That's the right answer. But that is our identity. But what do we tend to put our identity in? Well, like most culture, you know, when you meet people after the first pleasantries of of exchanging names, what's usually the first question? So what do you do? So for many of us, a big part of our identity is our vocation. And that's good, but that's just a big part of our identity, what we do, what our vocation is. We, We put our identity 
um, in, you know, often our race or our cultural background can be a huge source of, of what our, or who our identity is. For some, it may be their special ability or passion. So some people, they, you know, if they're an athlete or an artist or a craftsman or they have a certain passion or something they're a part of, that, that whole world, that whole part of them can become their identity. There's so many things and ways that we can identify ourselves and put our hope in a certain identity. And yet as followers of Jesus, we're called and invited to a brand new identity. We are called children of God. It's amazing, but we can take it so for granted. Now let me take you back to the beginning of Christianity. When Christianity was this new radical movement that the culture of the day could not understand and had no clue who these weird people were. And you see, what was incredible is that this brand new movement called Christianity, called Jesus followers, they, this happened during the time of the Roman Empire. This happened during what we'd call the Greek and Roman cultural days. And in those days, there was three main things that gave people identity or gave people privilege. And those three things were race, class, and gender. So if you were of Greek or Roman descent, and, that was, and you were trained and educated in that racial perspective, that was huge identity. That was huge um, privilege for you. Class was such a huge thing. You could be a slave and be a nothing and a nobody. You could be free and start to have some identity. You could become a Roman citizen and even have way more identity. You could be a rich and wealthy and influential Roman, but class was huge to everything that was about being privileged or, or having identity in your culture. And then, of course, gender. Ancient Greek and Roman culture was very patriarchal. Women had very few rights. And so being male also gave you privilege and identity. So it's in the context of that world that Paul, in another letter called Galatians, we're going to go to Ephesians in a bit, but I first want to show you, I think it might be some of my favorite verses in Galatians that show this radical new Christian movement and how radical it was for that day. And I want you to know in your identity, we're a part of this. So, so here it is, Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 to 28. It says, For in Christ you are all children of God through faith. As many of you were baptized into Christ, have clothed yourselves in Christ. There is no longer, here it is, there is no longer Jew or Greek. There is no longer slave or free. There is no longer male and female, for you are all one in Christ. You see, the radical countercultural mission and message of early Christianity was you are invited into a community, you are invited to an identity, you are invited to a movement where, guess what? Race and class and gender no longer matters. In fact, the culture of that day looked down on Christians a lot because they viewed Christians as this group of people that were made up of slaves, women, and people of low class and of low ethnicity. That's how they viewed them. And yet all of those people who were marginalized at that time, they found community and they found identity in this new radical movement called Christianity. And that's what it was intended to be. Isn't it sad that when the church became institutionalized, not more than a few hundred years later, guess what crept back into the church? Favoritism, patriarchy, all the things that original Christianity was never about. But 
sadly, those things crept in. And so church history is maligned often by people who think that we are the judgmental, patriarchal, racist, whatever they think of the church. But that was never the intention of this radical movement called Christianity where it said we have a new identity. And that new identity of Christ means that we rise above the identities that, that our earth life gives us, race and culture and, and gender and all of those things that can give us identity. We're supposed to rise above that to a brand, new, a brand new identity. We are children of God. So that's why I get so excited about being a Jesus follower and calling us to our true identity in him. And you know, the passage we're going to look at in Ephesians now um, talks about how we connect our identity to our spiritual gifts and how God has wired us and gifted us all uniquely. And as we function in the body, as we function in our gifts, it actually helps define and explain and give us joy and fulfillment in our identity. And so I hope I can encourage us a little bit in that today. So if you're following along in a, in a Bible or on your phone, or it'll be on the screen, but we're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 4, and just two verses, verse 11 and 12. Now let me read those for you. Ephesians 4, 11 and 12 says, The gifts he gave were that some would be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ. Let me read it one more time. The gifts he gave were that some would be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for the building up of the body of Christ. Now, depending on whatever work world you live in, and I tease my wife Una a lot because She's a nurse, and her work world, in my opinion, is so full of acronyms. When she comes home and gives me the tirade of her day, it's like about 50 acronyms in a row. And I think most workplaces are like that. She mocks me for my pastor work world acronyms. So we all have them, and here's one for you today. It's called APEST. And APEST refers to those five gifts that I just read about in the church. And as you see on the screen, they are apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd... Now, the reason for shepherd rather than pastor, which is in most of your Bibles, is that we've attached pastor to a profession or a vocation. That's really not what's meant here. So the better word for understanding what this gifting is is shepherd. So apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, and teacher. So question one, are these gifts that you see here, this apest, are these leadership positions or are these categories of gifting? Now, I'm going to play the Canadian answer and say a little bit of both, but probably more the latter, as in categories of gifting. So, let, let me explain a little bit. Now, already by the time of Paul writing Ephesians, there was already leadership structures within the church. There already existed bishops, deacons, and other, others that would have had positional positions vocational positions even sometimes in the church. That already would have existed. So this list is not primarily referring to leadership vocations. This list is primarily referring to, in a sense, five categories of gifting. These are not all of the gifts. There's many, many gifts mentioned in many passages in the New Testament. But it's almost like you can understand these as, these are kind of the five main gifting, wiring, 
how God has created us in our passions and our giftings categories. And so what I want to encourage you to do today as we walk through this a little bit is ask the Holy Spirit which one of these five may most connect to how God has created you, to the passions God has given you, to the gifts God has given you. Is there a connection here that could actually help you in your identity in Christ? So that's a bit of the journey. So you could have a sermon or many on each of these, so I'm going to give a very quick and brief explanation of them, but think about that as I walk through them. So we start with apostle. Now, apostle literally means sent one, and the primary meaning of apostle, of course, was the original, um, the original disciples of Jesus, the ones that, that witnessed his life, his death, his resurrection, and so that original group were referred to as, the, as apostles. However, by the end of the New Testament, there are many, many others that are mentioned and listed in the New Testament as being apostles or having this spiritual gifting. In fact, it's, it's quite interesting. In Romans 16, 7, there's an apostle mentioned by the name of Junia, who is female. Just again to reinforce what early Christianity was like before it got patriarchal. So the idea of that apostle gifting is, is that, again, these were sent ones. But if you want to get the heart, like... The, the gifting of apostle is these are the visionaries. These are people who are starters, entrepreneurial, pioneers, dreamers. So if you're someone that's wired, you're always dreaming. You're always thinking about, oh, how could I start this business? How could I invent or create this thing? How could I get this new ministry or idea going? And when you think of having to start something new, that just jazzes you up. When you think of having to maintain something, you just go, oh. But that, that's in a sense, the heart or the passion of the apostle. Leaders, um, yeah, um, losing my track here, starters, pioneers. So that's, that's, again, just a very, very brief understanding, but that's, that's the apostolic or the apostle gifting. The next one is prophets. Now, prophets is also really misunderstood a lot. In the Old Testament, prophets were primarily seen as those who kind of told the future. So often we think that prophets or prophecy is all about some kind of spiritual fortune tellers. Well, in the New Testament context, prophets are, are seldom foretellers. They're primarily forthtellers. So that kind of helps you know the difference. What is the New Testament gift of prophecy? It's actually a strength in being a foreteller. Now, if you're, now people who are prophets are often the kind of people who they see into situations. They're discerners. They look into an organization, or they look into our relationships or families, or they look into the church, and they're the ones that see, hmm, there's things that aren't working here. There's potential problems here. And, and they're the ones that kind of see that. And so often, people see prophets as being negative because it feels like they're always the ones with the harsh word about what we need to improve and what we need to do better and what's wrong with the situation. But you know, the heart of the prophet isn't that they want to be negative. It's that God has especially gifted them and wired them to be seers, to be discerners. And so that's why we need to listen to the prophets. So that's kind of one side of the prophecy gift. The other side is that prophets love to be encouragers. They love to speak life into people. And so the gift of prophecy in that way is incredible when we're encouraged by someone who comes along and, and just has a passion to speak life into us. And so again, there, there's both sides to it, but these are people 
that see and that passionately want to want to see God's will and God's heart be restored in the church and, and in anything that they're, that they're prophesying or speaking into. So that's a, that's a little bit of the prophetic gift. The third one is evangelists. So evangelists are people who have passion and special ability to share the gospel with faith and boldness and effectiveness. These are people whose hearts are always thinking about how people need the hope of the gospel. So if you're wired that way, if, if when you go to work or school or you're, or you're driving or walking around your neighborhood and what you're filled with all the time is, oh, my heart just breaks because I want people to know the hope of Jesus. And if that's the way your heart is and, and, if, and if you're someone who's wired to you just love talking with people and you love to share your faith and, and God's given you ability to do that effectively and creatively, this may be your gifting. And, and wow, awesome, let's bring on the evangelists. So number, number four, we go, to, we go to shepherds. And again, the, the word pastor is used because the idea of the gift of shepherd is these are the people that just, they're always thinking about how can we care for people? How can we disciple people? How can we make sure that everyone's included, that everyone's okay, prayed for, cared for, nurtured? So that's kind of the whole heart of the shepherd and, and, and why that gifting is often associated to a pastoral gifting. And then the last one is, is teacher. Now, something to be careful of is often when we think of teachers, we just think, oh, those are the smart people. And it's true. Teachers are often very smart. i got some in the front row here, so I'm being careful here. But um, no, teachers are often, but the gift of teaching is not just that you're smart and you know a lot. The gift of teaching is that you have the special ability to understand, clearly explain, and then apply. And that applies in many ways, but in this sense of spiritual gifts, very much. If you're someone you have the desire for clarity and relevance in declaring the gospel and the truths of Scripture. If that's how you're wired and that's how God's given you gifts, then, then that puts you in that spiritual gifting of teaching. So, I blazed through that list. And again, the purpose of me suggesting or encouraging that you consider how does those gifts... Remember the Scripture said that he gave some. Some to be apostles. Some to be prophets some to be evangelists, some to be shepherds, some to be teachers. And I'm encouraging you to consider how God might be opening your eyes or showing you, yeah, the way I'm wired, the way I'm gifted, the things I'm drawn to, the things that I love and am passionate, yeah, this might be really helpful for me to connect and to understand more of my identity in the body. And so I, I would really encourage you with that. I also, though, want to say, don't feel like you... You're, like anyone's trying to put you in a box. You may, you may not identify just so, so clearly with one. You might blend a few together and that's okay. Be free to discern that between you and God's spirit. So it's not designed to put you in a box, but hopefully to be helpful. Now, one thing that's important to understand. At one level, these five gifts mentioned here are really something that all believers in Jesus function in at a certain level. This is what I, for example, let's just take evangelist. So the scripture is pretty clear that all of us as Jesus followers should share our faith. We're all called to the Great Commission and to bear witness and to share our faith. So at one level, we're all called to evangelism. However, there are those who are especially passionate and good at it and gifted, and so we would say, hey, they have the gift of evangelism. And then there may be others that spend so much of their time that that at some point, perhaps their vocation or their full-time calling as a missionary or something like that might mean that we might give them the title and say that person's an evangelist. 
And you can kind of apply that to all of them. Like prophecy is the same way. 1 Corinthians 14 says that we can all prophesy. So there's a level where, where we can all develop prophecy and prophesy. And yet there's those that are gifted and especially good at it. And because they're gifted that way, um, we would say, hey, they have the spiritual gift of prophecy. And then there may be others that have devoted so much of their life in walking in that gifting that there might come a point where we might call them a prophet. So just so you kind of understand that it's not an easy, boxed-in divide, but it's a process of how we discern. And let me just add this, too, that as much as I'm encouraging you individually, actually, when it comes to discerning our spiritual gifts, it's much more of a process that happens in community. You know, one of the, one of, as you're 